Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. I would like to welcome you to our live stream and our podcast where we're going to be discussing meditation and specifically getting into a live guided meditation. Because right here, wherever you're listening or watching to this, either Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Periscope, in Zoom, on our podcast, all the different places that we're broadcasting out to, we are going to be doing live guided meditation today to help you train the mind on this path to enlightenment so that you can better control the mind. Because this discontent mind is no fun. There's no enjoyment in this discontent mind, this unenlightened mind that is sad and angry and frustrated and irritated and annoyed and feels guilt and shame and fear. And you get really happy and excited and elated. And then you become bored and lonely and shy and resentful and jealous and envious. And, you know, relationships are difficult and You know, we look at the problems in the world instead of looking at them as challenges that we need to approach with wisdom. So because this unenlightened mind is so uncomfortable and is something that we would rather live without, then the way to get to this enlightened mind, which is peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy, is to train it. Train it in the Buddhist teachings. The Buddha laid out a very clear path for us that if we understand it and we practice it, then we can experience the results of this enlightened mind where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. We no longer have to deal with all that temporary discontentedness, all that shaking up of the mind, all that burden, all that stress. But it really comes down to your dedication and your effort. What I do here is I provide guidance and I provide support and encouragement along this path. And you can receive that guidance and support through essentially receiving resources, whether it's a free book, free audiobook, YouTube videos, podcasts, quizzes, personal guidance, online classes, Whatever it is that you need, I'm here to help you along this path. So today, we're going to be doing live guided meditation. We're going to be doing breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. These address two of the primary problems that Gautama Buddha discovered in the mind. The first problem that he discovered, the primary problem 
that is the cause of all discontentedness is craving, desire, attachment, this mental longing where the mind wants to hold on and grasp and hold it permanently. It seeks external satisfaction. It wants all these things to happen in life. And when it gets it, it's very, very happy and it feels wonderful. But when you don't get those things, then the mind becomes sad or angry or annoyed or frustrated. Or if you just sit around and you don't know what the mind wants, then you're bored and you're lonely, right? So we're going to change all of that with breathing mindfulness meditation to train the mind to let go and go inward and look at how to create this inner contentedness, this inner peacefulness through training the mind to let go of these thoughts and ideas and perceptions, this past and this future that the mind always wants to wander to. We're going to train the mind to come into the present moment with breathing mindfulness meditation. And you can be doing this on your own, but we're going to be doing this here right now today. And then, of course, you should also practice generosity, which is another aspect of the prescription to eliminate this discontent mind. Breathing mindfulness meditation and practicing generosity, sharing, giving, living open-handedly with your time, effort, energy, and resources. And then we're going to move into loving kindness meditation. Loving kindness is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, where you're kind and polite and friendly and respectful to all beings, not because you want something from them, not because you're judging them and try to determine if they've earned your respect, but just because it's the right thing to do, to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings because you're interested in seeing them be well and seeing them be peaceful without judgment. So that is our antidote to hatred, anger, and ill will. This aspect of the mind that wants to push people away and erect this wall. This is causing problems in your relationships because when somebody doesn't do something that you agree with, when they become disagreeable, you push them away. And you're like, hey, I can't associate with that person anymore. I'm blocking them. Or I'm not going to call that person anymore. Or they're not really my friend because they didn't do what you wanted. That longing with a strong eagerness, that craving desire attachment, they didn't fulfill it for you. So now the mind pushes it away. When what the enlightened mind is going to do is have this genuine interest in all beings being well, training the mind to be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to all beings. And you'll be able to peacefully coexist with all people. You will no longer look at people as enemies or friends. You can look at all people as family members. You can look at all people as being your family, either in this life or some prior life. And that stranger on the street or that friend who is having a hard day and, or somebody who just isn't doing the things that you would really hope that they would do, instead of looking down on them or being aggressive with them or being hostile, you can just be concerned for them. You can be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful to them. But in order to do that, you need to cultivate this loving kindness or this active goodwill in the mind through loving kindness meditation. And that's what we're going to do today as another part of our meditation. 
So we're going to first do breathing mindfulness meditation. And then as we ease into that for a while, then we're going to do loving kindness meditation. We'll do a little bit of breathing mindfulness meditation on the backside. And then we'll open things up for any questions or anything that you guys need guidance with in terms of your meditation practice or anything along this path to enlightenment. But before we jump into meditation, let me open things up to any questions based on anything I just shared. Our moderator Max is with us today and he will be able to ask any questions that you type into the comment section of Facebook or YouTube or in Zoom and then I can answer them for you. And if we don't have any questions, that's fine. We can move right into meditation. Thanks, David. At this time, we have no questions. All right, let's go into meditation. So I would like to just invite you to pull up a chair, pull up a cushion, pull up a blanket if you want to lay on the floor, either seated, lying, or standing position. There's all these different positions and chapter 11 in the resources that I share will help explain those to you. So go ahead and take a position where the lower body is comfortable. Most of us are probably in the seated position. And then with the spine, keep that nice and erect. You want to engage the muscles so that the body is upright and that keeps the mind attentive because we need to actively train the mind and if the mind's alert and attentive then we can train it throughout the meditation session your hands and arms place those either right hand over left with your thumbs together and place them in your lap or place the palms on your thighs or your knees or your armrest of your chair if you're in a chair whatever is comfortable for you this practice isn't about everyone doing it exactly the same way it's about finding the position that's comfortable for this body at this particular moment. Because as the body ages, things are going to change. So find a position, either seated, lying, or standing, that's comfortable at this particular moment. Now just close the eyes. And you should be breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Take some nice breaths in and out. Breathing in and out. The breath shouldn't be forced, it should be natural. Don't try to control the breath. Just allow it to be natural. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I would like to have you focus the mind on the breath. The sound of the breath or the sensation of the air entering into the nose. Focus the mind on the breath. 
breathing in and out. Breathing in and out. I'm going to leave you here for a few moments while I do some chanting to just kind of ease us into meditation. And then I'll be back with some more guidance. Arahang Samma Samhoto Mahakawa Hotang Mahakawanang Apivakti Elmi Sawakato Tammo Tamang Namasami Supatipano Mahakavato Savakasanko Sanghang Namami Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Napmodhasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Samputasa Iti piso makawa arahang samasamuto wicacaranang samhono sakatoro kawitu Anu tero purisa Tama sati sata tawa manu sanang Puto pakawati You should be breathing in and out. 
Breathing in. And out. Focus the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. The mind can be peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy when it's trained to come into the present moment. Breathing in. And out. Breathing in and out. Wherever you notice that the mind wanders, either to the past or the future, if it has thoughts, ideas, or perceptions, just cut those off. Let them go. Bring the mind to the breath. Breathing in. And out. Focus the mind on the breath. The breath is the present moment. The sound of the breath or the sensation of the air entering into the nose. Don't try to control the breath. Just let it happen naturally. Breathing in. and out. Breathing in and out. I would like to encourage you to meditate without my voice. So I'm going to be quiet for a bit. I'd like you just focus on training the mind to come to the breath, cutting off thoughts, letting them go, and focus on the breath. Breathing in. and out.
Breathing in. And out. I'll be back to do loving kindness meditation with you shortly. You have nowhere to go. Nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in and out. Breathing in and out.
through the nose, in out. Breathing in, in out. Now we'll do loving kindness meditation. As you hear me say the affirmation, repeat it in the mind on the out breath. Breathing in, and out. May I be peaceful. May I be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May we be safe. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
May all those around the world who consider themselves Buddhist be peaceful. be safe. May they be well. free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who consider themselves Christians be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who consider themselves Muslim be peaceful.
May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those who consider themselves Hindu be peaceful. May they be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. May all those in all the various traditions around the world, whatever they might consider themselves, be peaceful. May they be safe.
may they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. And may all those who understand we are all one be peaceful. be safe. May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes. are struggling and aren't even looking at any path to improve their life, be peaceful. May they be safe.
May they be well. May they be free of all discontentedness and the suffering it causes.
Just slowly ease back. This was very good for the mind to just do some breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation. I chose to use chapter of the week, which is all about God's creative action and free will, as a basis for our loving kindness meditation kind of going through the various traditions of Buddhism, Christianity, Muslim, Hindu, people of all various traditions, people who don't have any tradition whatsoever and just struggling in life, and people who understand that we're all one. All of us, we're just one. And these labels of Buddhist, Christian, Muslim, Hindu, and so forth, they just get in the way of isolating us from what is it that we're really truly here to do 
we're here to peacefully coexist with each other. And these labels, whether it's around traditions that we practice, countries that we live in, genders, sexual orientation, races, all of these different labels, there's tons and tons of them. We need to just throw them out the door and just realize that we're all human beings and we're here to peacefully coexist with each other. And that's what this path's all about, is training the mind to peacefully coexist, not causing harm to anyone or anything. And because of that, as you progress in your practice, as you're causing less and less harm, less and less harm will be returning to you. And eventually you'll end up experiencing this enlightened mental state where once you're enlightened, there is no harm that will be coming to you because you're not causing any harm and you haven't been causing any harm for an extended period of time. But it takes dedication and commitment to learning and practicing and one decision after another after another with this long journey of not causing harm to anyone more and more because you're not causing harm to anyone, no harm will be coming to you. So essentially what you're doing is cleaning up the mind, purifying the mind, and by doing that, you're purifying the decisions that you're making in life. And the more and more history of you having these good, wholesome decisions, you will create more and more of a life for yourself that's based on good, wholesome decisions, and no harm will be coming to you. But if you've only been practicing for a short period of time, for a few months or a few years, there's still some unwholesome decisions that you're cleaning up. And that's part of this whole path. But if you're rooting your life practice in these teachings, in the wisdom of these teachings, then you're causing less and less harm in the world through all the various decisions you make in a given day. And doing that over multiple months and years, more and more, you will be experiencing more and more peacefulness because there's no harm coming to you whatsoever. And eventually you'll train the mind so well that it doesn't matter what's happening anyway, that the mind's never shaken up by anything that might occur. Even during the Buddha's lifetime, there were times when he was giving discourses, he was giving talks like this right here, and people would stand up and get angry and argue with him or argue at him, right? And his mind wasn't shaken by it. Because his mind was already peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. These other people's minds were just angry. There was nothing that they could have done to cause him to be angry because his mind was too well trained. So even when you're enlightened, people may still get angry. But you'll recognize that for what that is, which is other people causing their own anger. And you'll choose not to get angry at all. No anger will arise whatsoever. I just posted a poll in our Facebook group and I'll share it with you. It says, you're sitting quietly in a room and there's a fly that's buzzing around and the mind becomes discontent. What caused the mind to be discontent? The fly? Or did the mind cause itself to be discontent? 
right? So you can answer that. Your mind's always causing itself to be discontent. You haven't done anything wrong. No need to feel guilty or shameful. This is just how we're all born into the world, is we're born into the world with this unenlightened mind without the wisdom that we need. And that's what tomorrow is going to be about when we talk about animal to human, the evolution of our consciousness. We're going to explain why this unenlightened mind is the way that it is and how we can evolve it to be more and more human where it's peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy permanently. And one of the steps of that is to drop these labels and just look at the entire world as one family. And we're here to peacefully coexist with each other. If somebody becomes angry or hostile or upset, let's have concern for their misfortune. Let's not get angry back. Let's just have concern for their misfortune, concern for them because they aren't aware and they're not able to control their mind, right? They haven't done anything wrong. They're not bad people. They just don't have the wisdom and the training that they need to control the mind. But that's what this path is all about so that we can train our mind and we can control our mind. So let me open things up to questions and see if there's anything that you guys would like to discuss today. And if not, then that's fine too. So on topic, our first question comes from George. He asks, how is discontentedness different from suffering? In that discontentedness causes suffering rather than suffering causing discontentedness. Thank you. Yeah, where both of these words come from, George, thank you for your question. They come from, in Pali, called Dukkha. In the Pali canon or the Pali text, the largest, most complete source of the Buddhist teachings, the word that is used there is Dukkha, to describe what the Buddha is talking about. We need to eliminate from the mind, is we need to eliminate this Dukkha. The vast majority of the world translates that word Dukkha to suffering. And they say we need to eliminate suffering. But when I looked at this closely, I felt like the word suffering doesn't really fully explain what it is that the Buddha was talking about. What the Buddha describes that dukkha is, is he describes it as three different feelings. He describes it as a painful feeling, a pleasant feeling, or a feeling that is neither painful nor pleasant. So painful feelings are things like sadness, anger, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear. This is all painful feelings that need to be eliminated from the mind, which are dukkha, and need to be eliminated in order to attain enlightenment. Then he talks about pleasant feelings, things like happiness, excitement, elation. These need to be eliminated from the mind as well in order to attain enlightenment. And then there's feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant. I describe those as like boredom, loneliness, or shyness, kind of like uncomfortable, right? If somebody comes and sits close to you, that's a stranger that you've never met before, your mind might feel uncomfortable. It's not painful. It's not pleasant. It's neither painful nor pleasant. So this is what I call discontentedness and the Buddha called dukkha. Most people refer to this as suffering, but that's because I feel that they're misunderstanding or they're unaware of these three individual feelings that the Buddha described dukkha as. 
Because to me, suffering explains painful feelings really, really well. Because when you're sad, you feel like you're suffering. When you're angry, you're suffering, right? When you're feeling guilty or shameful or fearful, you're suffering. But when you're happy, excited, or elated, when the mind's happy, excited, or elated, you probably wouldn't say you were suffering at that point, right? But the mind's discontent. Or when the mind is shy, for example, neither painful nor pleasant. When it's shy, you wouldn't say you were suffering. When that person comes and sits next to you on the bus that's a stranger that you don't know, you wouldn't say you were suffering in that situation. But that uncomfortableness, that's dukkha. That unsatisfactoriness of the mind, that's dukkha. It's not suffering. It's discontentedness. So I use the word discontentedness or discontented or discontent. Because I feel that it fully explains what it is the Buddha was talking about. And the more you understand what he was talking about, the more you can eliminate these things. Because if people are only trying to eliminate suffering, then they're only trying to eliminate 33% of what the Buddha was talking about. That means they're missing 66%. That's a big percentage to miss of what the Buddha was talking about because that's his core teachings. So I use that word discontent, discontented, or discontentedness. And when I do the loving kindness meditation, I will say discontentedness and the suffering it causes. Because this is kind of a connection for people. Because a lot of people will do loving kindness meditation. They will say, may all beings be happy. Right? This isn't what the Buddha taught that all beings should be happy because happy is a conditioned feeling based on some external condition. What we're looking for is unconditioned enjoyment, right? We can uncondition this mind where it has enjoyment, it has joy, right? This unconditioned joy can be permanent, but this conditioned happiness is impermanent. And one of the reasons why it's unsatisfactory, it's undesirable, because it's impermanent. So when we do loving kindness meditation, I use, may I be peaceful, safe, well, and free of discontentedness. Because that painful feeling is discontent. That happy feeling, that pleasant feeling, that's discontent. Those feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, those are discontent as well. So I'm in this period of teaching where people are kind of coming over from other teachers or they've had exposure to other teachings. So I'm still using this word suffering to kind of help connect it for people that what I'm describing as discontentedness is what other people are kind of partially describing as suffering. But I feel this word is discontentedness is much more equipped to bring a practitioner's mind to what it is the Buddha was talking about. I suspect another 10, 15, 20 years from now, I won't even be using that word suffering anymore because there'll be more and more and more students that will just be using the word discontent, discontented or discontentedness. And this word suffering needs to go away because that's not what dukkha actually means. It doesn't mean suffering. So that's why I use that word. And I think that kind of gets to the heart of the question that you're 
describing there because you're probably not quite understanding why I'm using this word discontentedness. It's not that discontentedness causes suffering or that suffering doesn't cause discontentedness. It's that there's a misunderstanding of what dukkha is and people are using the word suffering. And I'm coming in and saying we should be using these words discontent, discontented, and discontentedness. But to help people make that connection, I'm using this word discontent. And in the loving kindness meditation, I use peaceful, safe, well, and discontent rather than things like happy. May all beings be happy because that's not the true goal of this path. The reason why people say may all beings be happy is because some people describe enlightenment or nibbana as happiness or permanent happiness or ultimate happiness or ultimate bliss. I would describe enlightenment as a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy that is permanent. It's not this conditioned happiness. This conditioned happiness is impermanent where an enlightened mind is unconditioned. It's not going to have this conditioned happiness that is impermanent. It's going to have unconditioned, peaceful, calm, serene, and content with joy. And because it's not based on any external condition, it's permanent. It will last for the rest of your life. We have a question from Biplop. Due to having less craving recently, I feel some lazy. I do not understand the difference between less craving or laziness okay this is common biplab because the unenlightened mind is so used to craving desire attachment this mental longing with a strong eagerness this go 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 that's what's been driving the unenlightened mind for however many years that you've been alive is you've been driven by this craving desire attachment now that you're starting to back off of that because the goal is to come to the middle, right? And craving, desire, attachment is on one side. But now that you're backing off of that longing and strong eagerness, the mind is swinging to the other side, which is the laziness, okay? This complacency or laziness, right? And this is common for the mind to do this, to kind of swing back and forth because it's trying to find the middle. And that's what your job is as being a practitioner on this path is to bring the mind to the middle. So now that you're backing off the craving, which is great, but now you have mindfulness, you have awareness of mind, which is wonderful. You're seeing it swing to the laziness. What you've got to do is look at those seven factors of enlightenment in chapter three. The seven factors of enlightenment provide you in their guidance of how to bring the mind from this laziness or this sluggish mind into the middle. And out of the seven factors of enlightenment, the first factor, which is mindfulness, that one you need to practice all the time, awareness of mind. But then there's three factors which take an excited mind and bring it to the middle. And then there's another three factors that take a sluggish mind and bring it to the middle. So you need to practice those three that bring the mind from laziness or sluggishness, as I use in the book to the middle. And what those are is they are investigation, which is investigating the Buddhist teachings. So reading the book, right? Reading the Buddhist teachings, reading the Buddha Vajrana books, participating in online classes like this, 
right? Doing all that you can do to investigate the teachings because this springs up eagerness in the mind. It creates some vigor in the mind. So you need to practice the enlightenment factor of investigation. Then you need to practice the enlightenment factor of energy, which is alertness or vigor, right? This is like being a student. You've got to apply the effort to do this, right? But practicing investigation of the Buddhist teachings will help you to kick in some energy. By applying the effort to investigate the teachings, you will be able to kick in some more mental alertness and some mental vigor. And you need to practice the enlightenment factor of joy. Joy is feeling joy not based on any particular condition, but just being joyful because you're joyful, because you're just joyful without any particular reason for being joyful. So if you look at chapter three, I give some more description about these seven factors of enlightenment and how to practice them. And then if you would like some more guidance after you read those, you can either post in the Facebook group, message me privately, or schedule a private discussion because you definitely are on the right track that you want to bring that mind from the laziness into the middle, which would be performing optimally. And it's these seven factors of enlightenment that fine tune the mind and bring the mind more in tune to the middle. Because as you back off of these three unwholesome roots, this is what the mind will tend to do is it will go to laziness sometimes. So just practice these other factors to bring the mind back to the middle. And once again, once you do that, you might overshoot it and the mind might become excited again, right? And that's where you got to practice those other three factors, which is tranquility, concentration, and equanimity in order to bring it from excitement back down to the middle. So it sounds like you need to get in touch with those seven factors of enlightenment, really learn them well and how to apply them in your practice so that now you can kind of fine tune the mind and bring it to the middle. So David, if compassion can be defined as concern for the misfortunes of others and we're practicing compassion through loving kindness meditation because we're cultivating compassionate intentions, so what are some ways we can practice compassion with our speech and actions? There's lots of different ways. It really depends on the situation, right? There's no like one situation. But let me give you something that happened just in our household today and, and last night. My son, which a lot of people know, Bailan, he's eight years old. He's been learning these teachings with me for over two years now, and he's progressed pretty well like he's really mind become has become much more calm he doesn't talk mean or nasty to his mom anymore he, he did for a good little bit and he's cleaned all that up he meditates uh, fairly regularly his mind's fairly calm but yesterday his cousin came to stay with us who's three years younger than him he's five years old and his cousin is younger so he hasn't had as much time to learn these teachings and practice meditation. And his parents also are quite busy, so they don't have the time to really teach him. So when he came to our house, he's bouncing all around and he's going in this toy for two or three minutes and bouncing to this toy and this toy and this toy. And I saw my son starting to become a little bit impatient with him because my son's used to being around my wife and I where the household is quite calm, quite peaceful. There's 
never any discontentedness here and yelling or screaming or any of that kind of stuff. It's just really chilled. And he's gotten used to that. But now this impermanence comes in where there's this little boy who's bouncing around, playing with all his toys and doing all these different things. And my son comes to me and says, Daddy, his mind is just too busy. He's just too busy. I don't know what we're going to do with this. Like he's kind of like thinking about like we've got to do something about this. And what I share with him is have compassion is that you need to have concern for his misfortune. You need to have understanding that he's little, he's small, that he hasn't had the training that you've had because this little boy, our nephew, his mom died when he was only nine months old. So that's why my wife, which her sister is the one who died, takes care of him sometimes. So I was talking to my son and helping him to understand because part of what my son was having trouble with was he was a little bit jealous that his mom was spending time with this other boy, right? And I was explaining to my son to have compassion for him because his mom died when he was nine months old and he doesn't have a mom anymore. And my son should share his mom, you know, and I asked him, you know, Bailan, is it your mom? Does she belong to you? And of course he's like, no, she doesn't belong to me. I was like, can you share her? And, you know, sure, he's going to be here for two or three days. But after that, you'll be able to spend time with your mom more. So ultimately, we discussed and had a lot of different discussion throughout our day yesterday and today. But this is a situation where my son encountered somebody who wasn't practicing the teachings because they're just unaware of the teachings. And it doesn't mean that we get angry or hostile or kick him out of our house or look down on him or think that he's a bad person or anything like this. Of course, he's a kid, so how could we? But nonetheless, even if this was an adult and you come in contact with somebody whose mind is a bit scattered and jumping around from topic to topic to topic or uh, has frivolous speech, or even people who go through the criminal justice system who've robbed banks or committed rapes or even murders, right? These people lack the wisdom and training in these teachings, and they don't have the training and control over the mind, and they don't have the wisdom to understand. On some level, they understand murdering someone is wrong, but They lack the deep wisdom and control of the mind. These aren't bad people. They're just making bad decisions. So rather than being hateful and having ill will and anger towards any of these people in the world, that doesn't help you. Having anger towards another person for something that they've done that has harmed doesn't help you. So by practicing compassion, it's actually helping you is what it's really doing. It's training the mind to let go of these harmful thoughts that are in the mind that oftentimes judges other people, looks down on other people, thinks that because someone's poor, they're lazy, which isn't true, or thinks that because someone's uneducated, they're stupid which isn't true. They maybe just didn't have the opportunity to get an education, but 
they may have a lot of other wise things that they've learned through other means, right? So oftentimes what people do is they will look down on others with arrogance or pride or comparing and measuring. But whenever we see something that is disheartening or that we disagree with, if we disagree with somebody's intention, speech, or actions, rather than come at that with anger and hostility, which is harmful to us, it's only going to harm us because we're putting that harm into the world. What the Buddha's teaching is, is practice loving kindness, which is active goodwill towards all beings without judgment, and practice concern for others' misfortune. Because in that way, you can transform that disheartening, disagreeing that you have with other people's intention, speech, and actions, and you can turn it into a wholesome quality, which is loving kindness or compassion. And that's going to be good for you because you're not going to be putting this hate into the world. You're not going to be putting this harm, this anger into the world. And because you're not putting that into the world, that's not going to come back to you. So cultivating this loving kindness and compassion in your mind is actually good for you. And that's why we, of course, direct it towards other beings because the unenlightened mind thinks that it's these other beings that are causing the problems, but it's really not. It's your own mind. So by cultivating these wholesome qualities in the mind of loving kindness and compassion, it's actually helping you because you're not putting harm into the world, so therefore harm's not going to come back to you. So in this situation with my son, if he would have talked bad to his cousin or been aggressive with him or let's just say he hit him or did something like this because he was perhaps discontent, this boy was bouncing around and doing so many things, or if he be continued to be jealous and envious that this boy was getting attention from his mom, this is going to create a wall between him and his cousin. And now he doesn't get to benefit from that healthy relationship between him and his cousin. And this is where families get split apart, right? We don't see these things happening in early age and we don't understand and we don't have the wisdom to guide and shape and help the problem here. And in this situation, one of the things I said to my son, as I said, okay, you're not feeling good because your mom is spending more time with your cousin. What do we need to do here? Do we need to tell mommy to stop spending time with your cousin? Or do we need to train your mind to be able to share and help let go of your mommy? Well, his answer was we needed to do both, which was wrong. (laughs) We needed to train his mind. Right. He thought we needed to do both, like get his mom to stop spending so much time with that little boy and train his mind. But in reality, we really needed to train his mind to let go and allow his mom to be free because mom's not going to like to be controlled and told what to do. That's not fair to mom. It's not fair to this other little boy. We just needed to train my son's mind to let go of his mom. And once he did that, It took about an hour or two, but once he did that, then he was sharing with his little cousin. We went to Chinatown. They were holding hands together. We ended up buying my son a hat, and right away after we bought it for him, he gave it to his cousin, and they were sharing it back and forth, and throughout the day, they were switching it back and forth and sharing. So things resolved, 
But this is where families can have a lot of problems. Or the other way to say this is this is where families can have a lot of success is when we understand the Dhamma, the Buddhist teachings and what the real problem is here was my son's mind was not willing to share his mom. He had craving, desire, attachment for his mom. When we understand what the real problem is, we can address the root problem. Right. If I didn't understand what the problem was, perhaps I would have been angry at my wife. Why are you spending so much time with your sister's son when your son's right here? Why don't you spend time with him? Look at you. You're just doing, you know, they would have turned into a big argument. Right. But when you understand the Buddhist Dhamma and his teachings and you understand what the true problem is, you can address the root problem and then it can be solved once and for all. And now the next time this little boy comes to stay with us, our nephew, we probably won't have this problem at all. My son's mind has now been trained to let go and share his mom. So the problem's solved because we went to the root of the problem. We solved the root problem, which was in my son's mind, rather than trying to control his mom to behave in a certain way. So in this situation, we showed compassion to the boy, to our nephew for not having his own mom, for not being able to practice the teachings. And eventually we ended up sitting down and doing some meditation together with this little five-year-old boy. And he actually ended up falling asleep right afterwards. But this is just one little example of how when you encounter people that maybe aren't practicing the teachings or disagree with your opinion, you can just have concern for them. And in our family situation, it came to teaching my son and helping this little boy. But if it's somebody else outside of your family, like say it's a homeless person or say it's uh, somebody else that you see, you know, you can have concern for them and just cultivate this genuine concern. What actions you take and how you handle the situation is all going to be unique and dependent on so many different variables. The right answer is to always be polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. That's always the right answer. How that looks and how you choose to implement that is going to be unique to each individual situation. There's so many ways to implement that, but always polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. And if you do that, then you're always acting with loving kindness and compassion. Thanks, David. I'd be interested to hear more about how we might be able to introduce young children to the teachings and when it might be appropriate to do that. And I ask because uh, my niece is approaching the age now that it sounds like you actively began helping Bailan. Uh, she's soon to be six and it might be a nice way to practice compassion to introduce her to something useful here. Sure. I think these teachings should be introduced to a child when they're still in the womb. If the mom and dad are already on this path and meditating and practicing to bring the mind closer to a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind, when the baby's in the womb and the mom's meditating and the dad's meditating and this household is kind of brought up in these teachings, that establishes the foundation for what's to come once the baby's born. And then once the baby comes into the world, it's going to have a head start in the world. 
my wife was meditating and practicing these teachings, not as closely as she is now, but she definitely was when Bailan was in the womb. And Bailan hardly ever cried as a child, as a baby. Like it took a lot for him to cry. I mean, he was just such an easy baby. I remember thinking most times as he was growing up, like, you know, wow, this is like such a breeze, you know, like, wow, this is like quite easy. And I trace it back to my wife having meditated, but also in our household, her and I weren't arguing and bickering while she was pregnant. I was supportive. I was encouraging. I was getting food. You know, I was bringing 10 pounds of oranges home each day and watermelons and all this stuff. Luckily, we lived on top of a grocery store, so it was easy. But it was a supportive, encouraging, motivating environment. And she was meditating. So it starts when they're in the womb. Then as they're born and brought into the world, if mom and dad are meditating and are quite calm and peaceful, and they've really worked quite well on their craving, anger, ignorance, the self and the ego, as the baby's growing up in the household, it's not getting that craving, anger, ignorance, self and ego. So its mind is going to be less conditioned because the parents are practicing these good, wholesome teachings. Then... I think a time to really start kind of like introducing kind of meditation and having them sit is probably like three, four, five years old. And if mom and dad or in your case, uncle, you know, is meditating and they kind of wander in and kind of see you and kind of sit down alongside you, that's like ideal because they're choosing to kind of sit down with you. And if you're in a household with children and they're seeing mom and dad meditate regularly, they're just going to get used to it. So when I was in America, I led a large group of students learning Thai massage and we used to meditate a lot over there. And my son used to come to work with me quite a bit and he would see me teaching the students. He probably doesn't remember now, but even at the age of like one, one and a half, two years old, he would kind of sit near me while I was teaching the students. And he would sometimes even sit on my lap while I was meditating with the students. So this kind of like shows them through example what good behavior is that's going to lead to good results. So I think like they can slowly ease into kind of meditation between three, four and five with this calm household. And then by the time they're around six, they start having developed communication skills and the ability to kind of see things in the world that you can start introducing things like impermanence, discontentedness, non-self, the three universal truths, the four noble truths. But you do it in a very practical way that is related to nature around you. And that's why I call these the natural laws of existence, because these natural laws, these teachings that the Buddha shared, these natural truths of existence exist everywhere. So when it's time to teach impermanence, you know, I didn't sit my son down in front of a whiteboard or a PowerPoint slide, right? I took him out into the world. And we went on little scavenger hunts and I showed him how the leaves up in the tree were nice and green but the leaves on the ground were brown and brittle. And I showed him the difference. And I showed him that they're not going to permanently be green. And then I showed him that they're not going to permanently be brown either. And I crumbled it in my hand and showed him how it falls apart. And then we went to the next thing. I showed him the sidewalk. And I showed him how the sidewalk is nice and flat. 
But then when we walked a little bit further, I showed him a crack, how it was breaking, right? And then we walked a little bit further and I showed him the fence and how, you know, one fence was painted really bright color white and another one had gotten dark and dirty and dingy, right? So here I was making it applicable to him. And then after I showed him two or three things, I said, now, Bailan, can you go show daddy some impermanence? Can you find some impermanence? So now he kind of was like looking around and it became fun. It became a game. And he was pointing out things left and right that was impermanence. And then that was like our first little lesson that lasted like 20 or 30 minutes. And then we kind of reinforced that over the course of a week or two or three. And then once I knew he had impermanence down, then we went into discontentedness. And we started to talk about that. And I started helping him to see that with his own mind and even like dogs. Like when a dog, we would, you know, walk past a house and a dog would see that's discontentedness. Right. And I would show him like, see, his mind was craving this peacefulness, this stillness. He's protecting the self. He's protecting the, the house. And now when we walk past his mind isn't comfortable with this impermanence of now a human walking past his yard and now he's become discontent, right? So these are the kind of lessons you can use. And then when they see it in the real world like this, then it becomes more applicable. They are able to retain it better. And it really connects to one of the Buddhist teachings where he said, one who sees me sees the teachings. And one who sees the teachings sees me. One who sees me sees the teachings is, if you see me, I'm a living, breathing, walking example of the teachings. That's what he's saying. One who sees me sees the teachings. If you see me and you interact with me, I'm a practitioner of these teachings, right? I'm practicing what I preach kind of thing. And then one who sees the teachings sees me. So if you look around the world and you see impermanence and you see discontentedness and you see painful feelings, pleasant feelings, feelings that are neither painful nor pleasant, if you see the ego and how that causes problems, if you see, you know, right view, right intention, right speech, right action all the way through, you see loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, equanimity, all the teachings that you learn as part of the Buddhist teachings and you see how the Dhamma works in the world. When you see the teachings, you see the Buddha and you know this man lived for sure because his teachings explain all these natural truths, all these natural laws of existence. You can see him everywhere around you. Thank you, David. That's really helpful. And uh, I'm certainly putting a lot of that into action. Well, for now, it appears we have no more questions. Okay. Well, I will just thank you all for joining for our meditation session tonight and invite you to return tomorrow because tomorrow we're going to be talking about chapter 20 in this book, Developing a Life Practice, The Path That Leads to Nibbana. And chapter 20 is Animal to Human, The Evolution of Our Consciousness. We're going to be talking about how this mind is born into the world and how the vast majority of us come out of the animal realm, the animal world, and 
what that means for the consciousness and the condition of the unrelated mind, and then the evolution of that to becoming more and more human. We're going to be talking about the five realms of existence. We're going to be talking about the path to enlightenment, this unenlightened mind. We're going to be talking about how to evolve into the human consciousness and these stages of enlightenment and what that means for us. So I would like to invite you to come back tomorrow at the same time, which is nine o'clock Thai time, wherever that is in your part of the world. Just tune in on Sunday at 9 p.m. Thai time. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be doing loving kindness meditation exclusively on Wednesday. And then next Saturday, we'll be doing some breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation as well. And here pretty soon in about another two weeks, we're going to be using this Saturday for studying the Pali Canon in English using these books, Buddha Wajana. So if you don't have a set of these yet, you can still order them and I'll send them out to you. What we're going to be doing on Saturdays is we're going to be doing just a brief kind of 10 minute meditation. And then we're going to be going into actually studying the words of the Buddha. That's what Buddha Wajana means, the words of the Buddha. And these are his actual teachings from the Pali Canon translated into English. So this group learning program that we've been doing on Sunday and Wednesday is kind of like a bachelor's or master's degree in the Buddhist teachings. And now on Saturdays, starting on the 9th of January, we're going to now be exploring the Buddhist teachings, which is essentially like a PhD in Buddhist studies. And this is really going to make the path even more and more clear for you where the group learning program and the resources that I've been sharing like this are providing you a framework and a structure and an understanding of how this whole entire system kind of lays out and can be impactful and helpful for your life. And now you're prepared to move into the actual words of the Buddha and see how his teachings really further illuminate this overall structure and foundation that you've learned as part of the group learning program. So we're going to start that on the 9th of January. And if you need to figure out how to buy these, I actually have a link on our website, which is buddhadailywisdom.com. There's a link there that you can buy them. And I have seven of them in PDF format, which is in the Facebook group. You can go to the units menu. And I've linked some of the PDFs that I have there. They're not 100% complete, but they're ones that I've been able to kind of piece together. It doesn't look like I'm going to have all of these 13 books available for our group learning program. I'm still working with the publisher to see if they're willing to release them to us, to use them for educational purposes. But I don't know that that's going to actually happen. So I do have them in audiobook and I do have them in PDF. But the thing is, is that during our classes on Saturdays, there's going to be times where you're going to need to crack this open and kind of go right to a specific chapter. So the audiobook isn't going to lend itself to that. And maybe even the PDF might not be either if the PDF is missing any of the content from this book because the PDFs that I have are kind of older versions. So if you would like to participate in that program, you're always welcome to join even without these books. But if you have these books, you'll get much more benefit out of it. I think you'll find that it'll really help you a lot more. So thank you for joining. Remember to be polite, 
kind, friendly, and respectful to everyone around you. Taking this loving kindness meditation that we just did, cultivating this peacefulness, this safety, this interest in others being well and being free of discontentedness, and translating that into your daily life where now you treat people polite, kind, friendly, and respectful. This is loving kindness and compassion. So thank you, and I'll see you either Sunday, Wednesday, or next Saturday. Sawadikap. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment. Enlightenment.